Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Over the last 45 days or so, I've preached three funerals. And so that, that creates tension inside of me where there's all this good that's going on, all this life change that's happening, and then to preach three funerals in two to three months, that's way more frequently than I'm used to, and it's heartbreaking because I knew uh, two out of the three really, really well. And so in the middle of that tension, there's this sort of introspection that goes on inside of me that every time I stand up to preach somebody's funeral and I look family members eyeball to eyeball, it breaks my heart because I remember sitting in their place. I start thinking about all the funerals that I've preached for family members, where I preached for my great aunts and I preached for both of my grandfathers and a few years ago preached for my own dad and last year preached for my aunt. And so there's something, as, as Chuck, if y'all were here last week, Chuck made fun of me, which I think is his spiritual gift. <laughs> he put Susan and I out there. He talked about Susan being all crazy emotion that when her emotions are off the chart, everybody knows about it. Right, And then he talked about me where I'm sort of a flatliner. Honestly, if you'll know me, I, 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 I'm not a very emotional person outside of preaching. I'm cool with just sitting back, watching. I'm like, and so I'll be in staff meetings from Chuck. He's like, are you still breathing? Right, and, uh, and so I'm not really, I'm really not an emotional person. But at these funerals, it does something inside of me. I don't know if that happens for you, all those memories and all those things that begin to come to the service. But I think about all of these lives, and I think about the fact that, yes, Um, Some people have passed away and we've buried them, but what I've become more and more aware of is that there's a lot of people that maybe they're alive on the, physically, on the outside. They've got breath in their lungs. They've got a pulse. They've got a beating heart. To everybody around them, they look alive, but on the inside of them, they're really dead. And that's what I want to talk about today is because This goes underneath the surface. This isn't one of those things that you can see. It's not one of those things when you go to the doctor and they put the stethoscope on your chest and they say you take deep breaths and they they, they count your pulse. This isn't something they check. You could be alive on the outside and yet be dying on the inside. And I've known people that they've died, and, and, and if you were to ask them, well, what, what killed them, or if you looked at their death certificate, it would say one thing, but really, if you knew the person, you knew it was something else. It may have been something physical that they wrote down on the death certificate, but oftentimes, there's some so- sort of death that's happened emotionally, sometimes spiritually, inside of them, that on the outside, they lived a long time, but on the inside, something died. And so this morning, if you've got a bulletin, if you've got something to write on and something to write with, or if you've got the Sugar Hill Church app, I want to give you three kinds of death, three kinds of death that happen in our lives if we're not careful. If we don't spot it, if we don't look out for it, these three things can kill us. And they all come from John chapter 11. So if you have a Bible or if you've got the Bible app on your device, I invite you to follow along. But in John chapter 11, Jesus receives very bad news. Jesus has become friends with this guy and his two sisters, right? He's become close to them. In fact, when we get to John chapter 11, this is sort of leading up to the last week of his life. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to be uh, shoved through the sham trial. Things are about to go bad for him. And so before all of that comes unraveled, he takes up refuge in their home. He, He hangs out with Lazarus and his two sisters. They've become a place of safety. They've become a place of refuge, 
Well, while Jesus is traveling, he gets word from Lazarus' two sisters. Listen to what it says in John chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now a certain man was ill. He was sick. And then the Bible goes on to name him, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. So this is bad news on a good day. This is somebody that Jesus loves. This is somebody that Jesus cares about. And so they send word to him. And they're like, Jesus, the one that you love, this person that's become a close friend, somebody that you've been relying on, somebody that's become a safe place, he's sick. And the inference later that we get from this passage is that he's so sick that he's going to die. And let me just pause there just for a moment and just acknowledge that in this room. And if you're watching online, Maybe some of you have gotten that kind of news sometime this week, that you've gotten the news that the person that you love is sick. And that's heavy. In the room this size, there's all kinds. Of, one of the things we do as a staff is every Monday and Tuesday, early in the week, we're praying over prayer requests that people write on the back of that guest info card. And man, I'm telling you, on any given Sunday, there are people that have heard that kind of thing, that the one you love is sick, something that you didn't see coming. Maybe you, maybe you got a diagnosis that you never saw coming. Or maybe you got word that that job that you're working, it's being dissolved, it's going, it's going to go away. Or maybe sometimes it's that marriage that you thought was going to be the dream marriage that was going to be great, that it's not what you thought it would be. Or maybe it's sometimes it's a close friend that that friendship, though it was close and it was meaningful during a certain season in your life, so for some reason, whatever reason it may be, that friendship's going away. I just want to acknowledge that because in this room, that could be happening where we receive word that the one that we love is sick. Here's what it says, verse 3. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, so what does Jesus do? Verse 4, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. But there are people that were listening to that saying, what? I mean, this person that you love, this person you care about, this person that's become a great friend, he's sick, he's going to die. And yet Jesus says, look, he's not, it's not going to lead to death is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so what does Jesus do? Does Jesus rush off? Does Jesus go back to Judea? Does he go right back to Lazarus' house? Does he bust through the door and say, where's Lazarus? Where's my friend? And does he heal him? What does Jesus do? He does nothing. He doesn't rush. He doesn't seem alarmed. He doesn't seem like it's a big deal. He doesn't drop everything he's doing and, and, and run back. Instead, here's what it says down in verse 6. It says, when they heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed two days longer. Lazarus' sisters are hoping that Jesus is going to show up. They're hoping that Jesus is going to leave whatever he's doing, that Jesus is going to rush home, that Jesus is going to show up and he's going to heal him. They're, they're hoping that Jesus is going to care so much about this guy that he'll show up at just the right time. And yet it says in verse 6 that he stayed there two days longer. He does nothing. Then after those two days, Jesus turns to his disciples 
And he says to his disciples, all right, it's time for us to go. We're going to go back to Judea. And now two days into it, his disciples begin to push back. His disciples know that the atmosphere around Jerusalem is changing. He knows that it's becoming hostile towards Jesus. And so they, they caution him. They're like, Jesus, we can't go back. Jesus, we can't go to that place. If we go back, they're going to kill you. And they're technically right. I mean, they're trying to warn him. They're trying to say, Jesus, watch out. Jesus, you can't go there. And so Jesus, when they're pushing back on him, Jesus says, look, there's work I've got to do. While the sun's still up, while there's still time, while I've still got breath, there's something I need to do. And so here's what it says in the end of verse seven. Jesus says, let us go to Judea again. And in this story, as we read it today, as we read this passage together, what ends up happening is we meet three people that illustrate the three kinds of death, that we could be alive on the outside, we could have breath, we could be in this room, but secretly dying inside. And the first kind of death I want you to write down today, number one, is the death of doubt. The death of doubt. That question mark that's in our soul. The death of doubt. So Jesus says, we're going to go back to Judea. Jesus says, we're going to go back. We're going to go help my friend. And the disciples push back and they say, we can't do it. We can't go there. They're going to kill you. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. I must go. This is my plan. I'm going to go back and listen to what Thomas says. Look down at verse 16. It says, so Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go. And what does he say? So that we can see Jesus do a miracle? Does he say, because we're going to see Jesus perform this great feat? Does Thomas say, it's going to be awesome? Instead, he says, let us go also that we may die with him. That is not the verse I want to memorize. Is it yours? That's not the, that's not the verse people are putting in greeting cards. That's not the verse they're putting on T-shirts. Let's die with them. That's not the verse. I told the 930 crowd that when I was a kid, I grew up in a church uh, where they, the people in the crowd talked back to the preacher and so it, it was strange the first Sunday I was in the church because I, initially I grew, when I was real little, I went to a Methodist church and it was really quiet, really proper. And then later we moved to this Baptist church. And I remember the first time, have, have you ever had that moment where you're not supposed to laugh, but you can't stop yourself? Have you ever had that moment where it's not the right time to laugh, but you just, the harder you try not to laugh, your shoulders just start going? Huh? Has that ever happened to you? So I'm a, a kid, like fifth grade in this church, and I've never heard this happen before. The preacher's preaching. He's in one of those yelling preacher moments. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes we get all worked up and sweaty, and we spit, and we yell, and, and at just the moment, somebody in the crowd goes, amen. And as a fifth grader, I had never heard that. And so I'm on this pew, just, you know, my, my shoulder's shaking. I'm trying to hold it in. Well, what, what I found is that sometimes those, those moments came appropriately where there's a big amen and it sort of gives the preacher oomph. But there's this one time when I was in high school, the preacher said something that was not amenable and this one guy in the room thought it was the right time to say it as loud as he could. Have you ever seen somebody respond improperly to something? I don't remember what the preacher said. It was something like, we're all gonna die. And somebody in the back of the room was like, amen, brother. No, <laughs> that's not the time to Amen. I feel like that's what Thomas is doing here. Jesus says, we're going to go. Jesus is thinking, I'm going to raise him from the dead. All the disciples are like, but we might die. And Thomas goes, let's die with him. Thomas becomes the one that we know as doubting Thomas. 
And some of us were dying on the inside because of doubt. And I don't know what caused that doubt, but I know that it's very real. I think if we were all honest, we would say that there's been a moment in our life where there's been doubt around our faith. I mean, even the most well-meaning people, they have questions from time to time. I, I don't know what that moment is. I, I don't know if it's your freshman year where you go off to college and you've grown, you grew up maybe studying the Bible, believing it's the word of God, and then you sat in a freshman Bible as literature class and there was some professor that seemed charismatic and it seemed like they were well-read and they said, there's nothing true in this book. And at that moment, there's this crisis of faith inside of you where you begin to doubt the thing that you've always, but I, I don't know when that is for you. I, I don't know if it was a sick I don't know if it was a diagnosis that you got. I, I, I don't know if it was something that you prayed for, and it seemed like the, the harder you prayed for it, the lesser of a reality it became. I don't know what that is. I don't know if you got a phone call from, from somebody and they told you news that you didn't want, but what I do know is there are moments where doubt inside of us becomes a silent killer. And we begin to question. We begin to wonder. We begin to think. Is this really true? Have I put my faith in the right one? Is this whole Jesus thing, is it real? Is it legit? This whole prayer, when I pray for stuff, does it really make a difference? This loved one that I'm, that I'm crying for, this loved one that I'm praying, and, and there's something inside of us that causes doubt. Some of us are slowly dying on the inside, number one, because of doubt. But that's not all there is. The second kind of death that happens not only is there doubt, but the second one is disappointment. The second kind of death that causes people to lose faith over time is disappointment. So here's what happens. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to the disciples, we're going to go back. And it's not a big deal. Jesus says to them in verse 11, our friend Lazarus, he's just fallen asleep and I will go to awaken them. And the disciples think that he's literally talking about Lazarus being asleep. I don't know if it was a Sunday and, and they thought, well, maybe Lazarus is just having a Sunday afternoon nap. I don't know if Sunday afternoon naps are biblical or not, but I believe they're ordained by God himself. <laughs> and why is it that at 2 p.m. on Sundays, that's the one time I'm taking a nap and that's the one time some salesman comes and rings on my doorbell. I'm not bitter about it, but I'm just saying, <laughs> naps are of God. That's noteworthy right there. Naps are of God. Hashtag Sugar Hill Church. Anyway, moving right along. Amen. Amen, brother. <laughs> now you're preaching. Glory. <laughs> Glory. Growing up, growing up in Mississippi, we do that, honestly. Glory. Amen, right? What they don't understand is Jesus is using a metaphor. He's not saying he's asleep. He's not taking a nap. He didn't have a big Mexican meal for lunch, and now he's taking he, He's not saying that. What he's saying is he's dead, but I'm going to bring him back to life. They don't understand it, so Jesus breaks it down for them. But they say in verse 12, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will recover. And Jesus says to them uh, in verse 14, Lazarus has died. And so when he goes, so they get the point, and so they start returning. And listen to what happens in verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary, her sister, stayed seated in the house. But Mary, Mary stayed at home. Why? Because of disappointment. I mean, you can imagine the emotion inside of her where she's so disappointed that Jesus didn't come through. She's so disappointed that Jesus did not show up when she thought he should. She's so disappointed that her brother has died. Now he's in the tomb, and now she's thinking on the inside of her, what's the point? 
What's the point? Why would I even get up? Why would I even go to this Jesus? What is the point of even trying? That's disappointment. And there's some people that that's where they live. I mean, we all have those seasons, but I'm telling you, it's so toxic when that is where you live, where everything that comes out of your head is, and out of your mouth is always negative. I mean, a, a disappointed heart is one that dies on the inside, and we begin to think, well, it's never going to be good. This marriage I'm in, it's, it's never going to be a great marriage. Or I'm always going to fail as a parent. I'm never going to get it together. I'm never going to learn. I'm always going to fail. I, I'm, I, that person, they never really loved me. Do you see how toxic that is? A disappointed lifestyle is one that always sees the negative. It always sees what's wrong. It never sees what's right. And honestly, I think some people live here way too long. They live in this moment where they think it's never going to be good. It's never going to turn around. It, they never love me. I'm always going to have a dead-end job. That, and what slowly happens is the dream of God begins to die inside of you. This God that loves you, this God that created you in his image, this God that has something unique that he wants you to do, this God that cares about you so much that he sent his, his son to die for you. He's got something that you're meant to do, and yet because of doubt and because of disappointment, it chisels away at our soul, and that dream begins to die. And what's dangerous about that is you can rarely see it on the outside. You could still come to church. You could still sing the songs. You, you could still look at the notes in the app. You, you could do all these things, and yet inside of you, that dream is gone. You can still show up, and you can put on the church face. We've all done that, haven't we? I mean, haven't we all had that moment on 20 where we're like, come on, when is this going to be done? Or is that just me? Like, you get frustrated. You're on your way to church, and, and, and the lanes have changed since the last time you've been, and then some guy's hiding behind the, some cop cars hiding, you know, shooting you at just the right time. Not that that happened to me a couple weeks ago, but I'm just, I'm just making it applicable, right? Uh, <laughs> I like to donate to Gwinnett County's finest. But anyway, so, and you get frustrated, and then somebody cuts you off, and somebody blows their horn at you, and that's just getting in the church parking lot. And then you come into the church, but you can't bring that with you. And so you got to put on a plastic smile. And you see Kenneth or somebody out at the front door, our welcome home team. And they're like, welcome. And you're like, well, amen, brother. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord, glory? <laughs> on the outside, we're fronting, while on the inside, we're dying. Some of us are dying because of doubt. Some of us are dying because of disappointment. But the third kind of death is the death of delay the death of delay. We want stuff now. We want it quickly. We want it when we want it. We don't want to wait. We're impatient. We want stuff to happen now. And I, I really think that's where Martha is in the story. I didn't read this part, but let me sort of back up. Let me rewind just a couple of verses. It says in verse 17, when Jesus came, so Jesus shows up, says in verse 17, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days, for four days. They were hoping Jesus would have been there four days sooner. They were hoping that Jesus would have shown up, but yet when Jesus shows up, he's been in the tomb for four days. And let me just pause there. Let me just make a side note about this. 
this is, what I'm about to say isn't biblical. What I'm about to say is not in the Bible. It's not in Christianity. But in their day, I find it fascinating. In their day, a common folklore was that when somebody died, their spirit would hang out near the body for three days. Again, that's not in the Bible. This is not a true belief, but in their day, they thought it. It's one of those things that a lot of people believed, even though there's no foundation. They, they just, that was sort of common sort of thinking of their day. And so they thought that somebody's spirit hung out near their body for three days until the body started decaying, and then on, on, which is around the fourth day, the spirit would take off. So Martha's really frustrated, right? With that kind of thinking, Martha's really frustrated. He's been in the tomb for four days, and later in this passage, she says to Jesus, he stinks. In fact, I looked it up in in one of the other translations, the King James Version, it says, he stinketh. (laughs) Sounds a little more spiritual, right? Sounds like youth camp to me. But anyway, he stinks. And yet, listen to what happens. Look down at verse 21. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's delay. Jesus, if you would have shown up sooner. Jesus, if you wouldn't have hung out for two extra days. Jesus, if you wouldn't have been doing your own thing, if you had come sooner, he would not be dead. See, this is one of those things that causes death inside of us, delays that happen, where we think we'd be further than we are now. For a lot of my ministry, for, for a lot of years, I served with young adults and singles. There's been seasons where I've done preached at services that are just for singles, where hundreds of singles would show up on, on Monday nights. And man, through, through those relationships, I met so many Christian singles that were frustrated by the delay. They're thinking, man, all my friends are getting married. How come I'm not getting married? Or the great line I'd hear from some of the girls, why am I always a bridesmaid and never a bride? I mean, I've had a number of friends that are girls that would say, man, Bobby, I've got 20 dresses from weddings I've been in, and they are 20 dresses I can never, ever, ever wear again. You know, you know why that is, right? A marriage is when a bride picks four or five of her favorite friends, and she dresses them in the ugliest dresses that she can find. It's true. I mean, some of y'all have classy ones, but it's true. Most of the time, it's, it's tacky. And the reason why they do that is so that when the guy sees her versus her friends, he's like, well, at least I got the best one. There's some angry ladies right now. But you'll notice on the other side of the aisle, it's different for guys. They dress guys in the tux. And uh, I'm convinced that's a wedding emergency device. That's if the guy backs out at the last minute, all the other guys just take one step over and (laughs) y'all pray for me. That'd be all right. (laughs) But people, they, they, they die because of delay. Sometimes it's a thing that you've been praying for. You thought God would answer the prayer by now. Maybe it's praying for a loved one that you're hoping their heart would be softened to God. And yet over time, the more you pray, it feels like their heart is becoming harder. We die on the inside because of delay. But here's what I want to say this morning. God's delay does not mean God's disapproval. Just because something doesn't happen as quickly as you think it should does not mean that God is against you, that God is angry at you, that there's something wrong with you. God's delay does not mean his disapproval of your life. 
And I love that this passage doesn't stop here. Listen to what happens. Martha says to Jesus, verse 21, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then listen to verse 22. But even now, do you see that? But even now, during the first service, I just stopped and I circled it in my Bible. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, that God will give you. Even in the, in the doubt and even in the disappointment and even in the delay, Martha brought up this belief inside of her, brought up this courage inside of her, brought up this, this belief that even now Jesus could do something amazing. That's a powerful phrase. Those two words change everything. I mean, before the even now, there's all of this drama. Before the, the even now, Lazarus is dead. The disciples are struggling. Mary is disappointed. Martha has this delay thing working for her. Thomas is doubting. But once you get past even now, everything changes. Even now is this belief that I believe that God even now can speak into my life. This even now mentality where she says in verse 22, even now I know that whatever you ask from God, he will give you. This even now mentality is that God can bring comfort even now to those that are lonely. This even now mentality causes us to believe that God can provide for those even now that are in financial strongholds. This even now mentality is that God even now can bring peace where there's confusion. When she says, even now, I believe you can pray and God would do it, that even now God can restore broken homes and he can pick up all those broken pieces and he can create something beautiful out of it, even now. Even now, God can cause a hard, calloused heart to get soft and to fill him, even now. I love this little phrase because I think for many of us, We've had seasons where we're living on the wrong side of the even now. We've got doubt, we've been disappointed. God seems like he's not showing up, it's a delay. And even now Jesus can step into any moment and he can do the supernatural. So listen to what happens. She says, even now I know that you can ask God and God will give it to you. And so Jesus turns to her and says in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And so she fast forwards to the end of the story. She fast forwards to like the book of Revelation when Jesus returns and the dead rise up. And she says, I know, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. And she's like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about now. And listen to what Jesus says in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. Jesus does not say, I am able to resurrect. I am able to bring him back to life. I am able to resurrect. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say he's able to resurrect. He says he is the resurrection. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. He says, resurrection is not an event, it's a person. Resurrecting is not just something Jesus does, it's who he is. 
that all throughout scripture, that when Jesus shows up, death begins to flee, that Jesus is in the business of reaching into dead end situations, into hard hearts of doubt and disappointment and delay, and he's able to bring them back to life. And so you fast forward the story where Jesus says, all right, take me to Lazarus's tomb. And in verse 38, it says, Jesus was deeply moved and the stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man said, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And in this moment, Jesus does something that she didn't see coming. He brings life where there was death. I wonder this morning, if you'd be honest and you'd say, man, there's some dead things happening in my soul. I wonder if this morning you would do what, what she did and begin to put your faith, not in just an event, but in the person of Jesus. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, shall live again. And he asked her this question that he asked us today. At the end of verse 26, he says, do you believe this? And she responded and said, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ. You're the son of God who is coming into the world. Even now, even now, even now he can bring life. Even now, do you believe even now he can bring life? Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.